0: Come on, let's get excited about the word. Amen. We have such amazing people that God has surrounded us with. And so today I have another special treat. Did you guys enjoy Mario last week? My man brought the word. Praise God. Amen. Today we have another special treat. And it's another first time Sunday morning service for this person. You know her. She's She does a lot. You've seen her other gifts, but God has really um, done something with her in this area. She has a beautiful story to tell, so I want you to welcome Lee to the front. Come on. All right. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord God. We ask you to remove the speaker and the listener. Get us out of the way, Lord God. Speak to our hearts, Lord God. Let your seed be planted, Lord. Let it grow. Let it change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. So suffice to say that I'm just a little bit nervous, only because usually I'm up here in the capacity of worship. Um, which, by the, le- by the way, let me just as a side note, just let you know how very blessed I was to watch you worship this morning. You know, before I came here this morning and last night, I said to the Lord, you know, worship, Ephraim said it the other day, um, last week. He said, worship tills the heart. It tills the soil of your heart. And so my prayer was this morning before preaching was, I know that in and of my own self and in my flesh, I can do nothing powerful that would take a seed and a root within you unless it is done by the Spirit of God. And so I asked the Lord and I said, please, Jesus, I was like, till their hearts this morning. And when I watched everybody with their hands lifted and up here and just surrendering before the Lord and then that beautiful picture of proposal with, you know, this whole morning, like it's just, I know that God is here. I know that his presence has gone before me. I know that there is no fear in the presence of God. So although I feel a little bit intimidated maybe, but like a good intimidated, like I was telling Pastor George this, the kind of like scared, like when you're going on a roller coaster and you're in a, you know, an amusement park and you're like, all right, here we go. And you look up and you're like, all right, I gotta go up really, really high. And there's that big drop and it's like mentally, you're trying to prepare yourself for that. But there's an excitement. Cause like once you're seated down Right. And once the bars come down and once the the guy who's facilitating the ride comes and he kind of checks how tight you're in. Right. Like the buckle. Like, all right. And then after all the crazy stuff we've heard, you want to make sure that you're like buckled in even extra tight because you're like, I'm not falling out this, this, this amusement park. Um, But, yeah, that's how I feel right now. And and, and so thank you, Pastor George, for that prayer, because I feel like that prayer is like the buckle. Right? It's like the bar that comes down. It's my safety net. It's, it's me saying, okay, Lord, I can't do this in and of myself, but you can do all things. Amen. Amen? All right, well, this morning I want to talk to you. Actually, you know what, before I begin, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to Georgia, and Michelle, um, to Ephraim, to Pastor Gary. He's not here this morning, but we have amazing leaders. Can you just clap your hands? Because we really do have amazing leaders in this church. And no, they didn't ask me to say that. I didn't get tipped off. No, none of that. But we really, really do. And you know, I, I came from churches where you weren't allowed to do this sort of thing. Nobody would really let you grow and be on the pulpit. Um, and so this is really a privilege. I've been walking with Jesus for 16 years now and I've had the opportunity to preach on pulpits everywhere outside, <laughs> everywhere outside the church, even on Sunday mornings. But I've never had the honor to stay in my home church, to say that I've preached to my community, to my brothers and sisters in the body that I congregate with. In 16 years, I've never been able to do that. So thank you guys for sharing the pulpit and for trusting me and for trusting God in me. Um, and so yeah, I just want to say, and, and, and you know what, this is a milestone. I said 16 years, right? So this is the first time. I feel like I was telling Pastor George I should have a t-shirt. Stacy. I don't know if we could do like I'm a first-time preacher at Sanctuary Fellowship, and then put the date in the back. We could do that? Okay. So maybe we should just get that done, because with, you know, everybody's growing in here. And I, what I love about our church is that our leaders are not afraid to allow us to grow. That if they see a passion in you, if they see a desire in you, you know, it's, it, we're welcomed. We're welcome to explore those gifts. Um, and so this morning, I want to talk to you about something a little funny. It's not up there yet. But I want to talk to you about Pickles in a message titled, Pickle Me True. Now I know a lot of you, you know, pickles get a bad rap because they're sour. And because not everybody likes pickles. Pickles are one of those very like, you know, you either love them or you hate them. And I grew up a Jewish girl. So in every Jewish restaurant, they have pickles and coleslaw. Pickles, it's like, it's like if you don't eat the pickle and the coleslaw in a Jewish home, you're like, you know, forget it, they'll kick you out. Like, it's just what we do, like we do dill, We do. Anyway. Any pickle lovers? Anyone? Okay. See? All right. I didn't get woos from everybody, but that's okay. It's all right. Well, you know, it's funny. In in preparing for this message and in the pickle, of the pickle and researching what the pickle was, because that's what I do. I find very simple words and I ask God for a message through them and God will just drop something in my spirit. I noticed, like I said, there was this very negative connotation in Christian Bible studies when it came to the pickle, and I found one study that was done on a pickle in reference to the process that the pic, that the cucumber goes through to become the pickle that referenced us as Christians, and it really began to inspire me, and I was like, you know, I'm kind of all for, like, the underdog. Like, everyone can talk bad about one thing, but then I, I feel like God has put this thing in me where, like, I'll just find the best thing of it. Like I could find a big pile of dirt and everybody will be like, "Ooh, like it's just dirt. Like nothing good about that dirt. And I'll look and just see that maybe one, you know, little flower coming up out of it or a little seed that can come into something. So I thank God for that. So yeah, so today we're gonna talk about pickles and I wanna read you actually the definition in both forms because it's a noun and it's a verb. So the noun part of it, obviously we know, is the actual pickle itself. And no, we're not gonna actually just Dissect what it tastes like and all those things. No, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it in the verb form Pickling Pickle me true and as we continue to walk through this message You'll you'll begin to have an understanding and my hope is that you will begin to understand what it means for God To pickle us true. Amen Okay, so pickle I have it here from the Webster's Dictionary All right, here we go to all right. Well not a pickle, but to preserve okay we're going to talk about how the cucumber and the whole process of the cucumber, what the cucumber goes through in order to become those pickles. So first it has to be preserved. And preserve means to keep or save from injury, loss, or ruin, to protect, to maintain. I loved what Ephraim said this morning, and he didn't even know what I was talking about, but he was talking about sustaining and how God would sustain us. By his spirit, he us, sustains us and he preserves us. So he maintains as he sustains. Preserve also means to prepare, to be kept for future use. Now some of the the first step is preparing and cleaning the cucumber. It's funny, I actually, my 12 year old old daughter, and not to shout her out, but I said to her the other day, hey, do you know where pickles come from? She's like, yeah, a pickle tree. I'm like, no, it doesn't come from a pickle tree. And I'm sorry, but I'ma shout out her best friend over here. Cause then she was Skyping with Natalie. And so I popped my head into the kitchen and I'm like, hey Natalie, you know where pickles come from? She's like, yeah, a pickle tree. I'm like, oh my God, that's it. They share a brain. That's why they're best friends. I'm like, it's over. I'm like, guys, no, it's a cucumber. And they were like, oh. And I was like, yeah, it's a vegetable. It comes from the ground. They were like, okay. So in saying that, our, it starts out of a cucumber, right? Comes up from the ground. But the first step into making that cucumber a pickle is to prepare it and to clean it. And in the presence of God and in the kingdom of God, our preparation as seeing yourselves as a cucumber would be salvation. That preparation, that cleaning, washing our soul with mercy and with grace and with love. I remember when I first came to Jesus, and I remember all the inside of me was bitter, and I was cold, and I was hardened. But when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, he came and he washed me with mercy. And there was this tender gentleness about the character of God that my soul was drawn to on the onset of my salvation. And I really believe till this day, cause the Bible says he draws us with loving kindness and with loving kindness, he keeps us, he's, he preserves us. And so when we are, we first come into the kingdom. So remember he's preparing us and he's cleaning us with the word. He's washing us with salvation. The second step is immersion and saturating. So what happens to the cucumber now is once it's chosen and it's cleaned off, it now needs to be saturated in brine. And for all you cooks, you know that on Thanksgiving, or at least I know I like to do this, I like to take the turkey and I like to fill up a pot of water with some salt and I soak the turkey for a couple days so that on the day of Thanksgiving, it'll have a nice taste to it, right? Not everybody does it the same, but it's a process called brining, okay? and. And that immersion and that saturating is what God does when we come into his kingdom and we begin to learn the word of God. When we begin to experience the presence of God, we begin to attain our saltiness. And I know many of you are familiar with the scripture in Matthew 5.13, which speaks about the salt of the earth how we as believers are called to be the salt of the earth. So now we've been cleaned, we've been prepared through salvation, now we're being immersed, now we're learning the word of God, and now we're understanding how when we call on God, He answers. And now we can be a witness to the world about salvation, about redemption. We can be a witness for people to taste the goodness of the Lord. Now, this scripture in Matthew also talks about those believers who may lose their saltiness. And I think oftentimes, and I'm not saying it's all of you, but I know for myself, I've stepped out of that saturation. Maybe because I was going through a trial, or maybe because I was going through something that was difficult, but I stepped out of it. And then the people that were around me, my family, even close friends, noticed that that saltiness wasn't as, it, it wasn't, like the seasoning wasn't as flavorful as what it was when I first came to the Lord. And we go through that, right? I mean, those of you who have been in the Lord for many, many years, you know that it's hard to maintain that fervor. It's hard to maintain that zealousness. It's it's hard to maintain your own love for God. Because what does the scripture say? We love him because he first loved us. So if at any point we begin to stop seeking after or clinging to the love of God, then our hearts become cold. Then our hearts become hardened and we begin to lose our saltiness. Because now when we talk about Jesus, it's just not as exciting as it was when we first got saved. So, that, so this process of brining is so important. This process of brining is actually what it takes to change the composition, to change what the cucumber is. If You ever look at a cucumber, okay, it's like, you know, that light green color. But when it becomes a pickle, you ever slice it and you look at it, it's almost transparent. There's almost like a, something clear about it, right? So as we are saturated and immersed in the love and in the presence of God and in the blessings of Jesus, and God begins to clean us out and God begins to speak to us and we begin to pour out our lives before people, because that's what we're called to do, we become transparent. Now people can look at us and now people can say, you know what? That's someone I can trust. That's someone I can go to. That somebody that looks like they'll sit and they'll listen to me without judging me. And they'll listen to me with an open ear because they see something about you is different. Now, be careful because this process cannot be hurried. This process is not a process that happens overnight. It's not something that You know, I know we oftentimes hear the phrase like a microwave experience where we just kind of pop it in, boom, it's ready, and then out you go. We have to make sure that in our daily lives we're continually surrendering to the presence of God, to the will of God, so that when we are ready to be given out to the world, that seal is upon us. And what's so beautiful about the about the pickle is you can't take a pickle and turn it back into a cucumber. It just can't happen, right? You can take the cucumber and you can turn it into a pickle but you can't take a pickle and turn it back into a cucumber because once the work of God is accomplished in your life, no man, no enemy, no devil in hell, no human being can rob you of that experience with Jesus. Doesn't the word of God say that he is faithful to keep you? Doesn't the word of God say that he, he will preserve you? He will keep his hand upon you. He will watch over his word to perform it for you. Well, so as I was looking up about this pickle, I literally, I was like, well, where, where's the biblical story here? Like, it was just, you know, an awkward moment for me. And, I, and, and the Lord kept telling me, he said, He whispered in my ear, Saul, Saul. And I don't know if many of you, if you're familiar with the story of Saul, can you just raise your hand? Not Saul in the New Testament that turned and converted to Paul. I'm talking about King Saul, the first king of Israel that reigned right before King David. Okay. Yes, you know? Okay, cool. All right, good. All right, so Saul's story is really about a good call gone bad. And the reason why that is, is not because he was a terrible king, but it was because, and it wasn't because he wasn't qualified for the job. As a matter of fact, God was the one that supernaturally chose him to be the first king over Israel. What happened was that he attempted to preserve his throne, he attempted to preserve his reputation. He attempted to preserve the very things that God had given to him and took his focus off leadership and the people and the need of the people and he took his focus off the great inheritance that was given to him, the promised land of Israel and he put it on himself. And he looked at himself and he said, I'll do it this way. I'll do it my way. And you know what? At some point, we are all guilty of that. Each and every single one of us. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how many years we're walking with Jesus, no matter how long, you know, or maybe how well we know the word, we could memorize it knowing back and forth. But we all at one point have taken situations into our own hands. The thing is though, you would think that this self-preservation started with Saul, but it actually started with the people of Israel. See, what happened was, and I know you know the story because Pastor George took us through it, when the Israelites were coming out of the desert, and they made it into the promised land. Right? It was a long journey. It was a 40-year journey. But God was faithful to the people. He clothed them. He kept the sun from burning them. He gave them food. He made sure that, the, that the, the shoes that they had all those years never wore out. I mean, it was a supernatural provision. And you would think that these people would know, yes, God is my father. God will always provide for me. God will be there when it's wonderful, and God will be there when it is not. The thing is is that they never got it. They never really did get it because when they entered into the promised land, they had the prophets that were leading over them. The prophets were the one that were giving them the words from God. And every time there was a battle, and every time there was a war, God would send His word through the prophet, give them direction, and they would always end up victorious. Now they had been through several prophets, prophets, and now they were at Samuel. Samuel was now prophet over Israel. And now the people started to complain because the Philistines Everybody remember the story of the big giant Philistine that David threw the rock hit him in the head. Well so these Philistines were like super bullies. They were always after the nation of Israel. And here they were rising up again and and Israel became afraid and they were like, "Oh, they looked around and all the other nations and all the other countries had kings." And they looked and they were like, "But what about us? Like we don't have anybody. We just got these prophets." Like, as if they weren't good enough. I mean, these men heard from God. I mean, specific. Like, they would say, you know, go down. They would tell maybe one man, go down to the river tomorrow, and you'll see a man wearing a white tunic and brown sandals, and he'll be holding a fish in his hand. And he's going to say, hi, how are you? And then you're going to know that it's the Lord sending him. I mean, they were that specific and detailed. He was good enough. Samuel was good enough. But the people began to cry out, we need a king, we need a king, we need a king. And so Samuel goes to God, and he's just like, okay, Lord, do you hear these people? Like, they're crying out for a king. Like, what do I do? I mean, we've, we've, we've been victorious this whole time. And the Lord says, you know what? He says, give them what they're asking for. He says, and when, you, when I appoint the king over Israel, he said, I'm going to let them know, and I want you to let them know what kind of man is going to be coming in to rule over them. And he goes through this whole long list about how this man is going to take the children and take the wives and use them for war and use them for all kinds of things. And the people agree. They compromise. Now, they were living in peace this whole time. Their family units, their family structures were whole. But now they began to compromise because they didn't look like everybody else. Isn't that so like us? Man, that's a harsh reality. When I began to really think about that for myself, because I can't just tell you something and bring something out to you without it first being real to me. And I know and I'm guilty of oftentimes, maybe I'll compromise Maybe I'll do something because everybody else is doing it. Everybody's going to hang out there. So let me go hang out there too. When I know God is like, no, I don't want you over there. And I don't really want you hanging with those people. Ooh, okay. But everybody's doing it, God. Everybody's going. It's like when you're a teenager, come on, mom. Let me go, let me go. All my friends are going to the party. All my friends are going to that club. All my friends are going here and you know you know that your parents are dropping wisdom on you and they're like, no, it's not a good place for you. And you're like, yeah, whatever. But what happens? You come out of a place of safety. You come out of a place where God preserves you. If you're a youth or a, you know, if you're living it with your parents, your parents are, you know, they almost oversee your life. God has given them the authority to pray over you. But when you come out of that covering... When you come out of that, you just go and do whatever you want because everybody else is doing it. You make yourself susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And we can talk about the blessings of a very real God, but then we also have to be sober-minded and remember that our enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And although it takes character and strength to be able to walk away from the crowd... Christ is able to provide that grace so that you don't come out of the covering and the blessing and the presence of God. So that's what Israel wanted to do. Stupid. Like, stu- like I don't even understand that. Like, they had everything. So anyway, they find Saul. Saul, the Bible says, was a, t- a man of tall stature. That, In fact, in all of Israel, he was the tallest man that he was beautiful, that he was handsome. It even says in Israel that he was the most handsome of all of Israel. So God was like, all right, you want a leader? I'm gonna give you what looks like to you in your eyes as the most fit to be your king. But you will find out that he obviously is not. So they accept this man. And what's very interesting about Saul is that he's almost reluctant to take the call of king he came from one of the tribes there are 12 tribes of israel he came from the tribe of benjamin and benjamin was the smallest of the tribes and so there's a long story behind it but when god leads samuel to saul and samuel pulls saul aside and says pretty much you're going to be king i'm anointing you now for this kingdom for israel god's giving you his inheritance Saul questions it and he's just like, What? I come from the smallest tribe of Israel. Like, my family, like, who's my family? Like, he was out looking for animals for his father. That's how he bumped into Samuel. Sounds a little bit like David, right? It's funny how the promises of God can look very, very much like something that is not. You know, when I I tell you this because I grew up Jewish. The Israelites and the people who call themselves the Jews were were and are still looking for a Messiah who is this big, grand, almost like a Saul, like a tall, beautiful, powerful, strong man who's going to set the world in order. And it's going to let everybody know that the Jews are the chosen people. So this is what they were looking for. In Saul, they were looking for, for a messiah now he takes he takes the call he becomes king so now he's king one of the first things that he does is there's a war that's brewing again with these Philistines and so Samuel says to him wait for me for seven days wait for me seven days and he's like and after the seven days he's like I'm gonna come and I'm gonna bring a burnt offering and this is gonna bring a blessing cuz that's what that did and you're gonna win the victory over the Philistines. But Saul becomes anxious. Remember, self-preservation. Now Saul becomes anxious. He's in the beginning of his leadership. He's only two years in. There's this big war. Everything's riding on him, or so he feels. And what's interesting is that the Bible says that when Saul became king, the spirit of God came over him. That it overtook him. That, it, that God took and turned his heart to be a leader. So now he's two years in. He's afraid the burnt offering is not there. Samuel's taking his time. So instead of being patient and waiting, he goes and kills an animal and he does the burnt offering himself. Samuel comes and Samuel's like, well, why'd you do that? Why didn't you wait for me? And Saul's so like, pretty much like you're taking too long. Like we got a war to fight. Where are you at? But then through Samuel, God says, see, I would have established your throne forever. But because you've done this one thing, because you took this into your own hands, because you thought you could win the victory all on your own and you could play the place of a prophet. He said, now. You can forget it. And he, that's the onset of him losing favor with God. And I, you know, it's so interesting because we sit here and, you know, he went and was anxious because things weren't happening when he wanted them to happen. So he took things into his own hands. And again, isn't that so familiar, like what we do? Our enemies rise up against us. And then all of a sudden, not everybody in here, but I know again for myself, I've had enemies rise up against me. And the, on the onset of me feeling attacked, I want to attack back. I want to say something back. I want, if I feel physically threatened, I want to hit somebody back. If I feel you know, like someone's gossiping about me, I want to go call them out on it and tell them that they're liars. I mean, that's natural human instinct. That's actually natural human preservation. But there are certain battles and certain wars that only God and his spirit can win on our behalf. And not only to keep us at peace and to keep our reputation clean, but so that he will get the glory. See, when I heard the Lord talk to me about preservation, I heard him say, I will preserve my people, but I will not share my glory with another. The Word of God talks about how God will not share. It's not, it's not even up for grabs. God wanted to win this battle because he wanted to receive the praise. He wanted to receive the glory. He wanted his people to see him come through once again. And did he for this battle? Yes, he did because he's a merciful God. But Saul begins to lose the favor that he has with God because he takes it into his own hand. And I'll never forget, there was, there was a friend, an old friend that I had. and She was going through a really, really hard time. And she, I, I had called her out on some things. And I said, you know, listen, this isn't right. And you really shouldn't be doing this. And you're really not thinking about your family in this. And it was something that was very detrimental to her life, period, to her physical life. And she became very, very offended by what I said. Now, given I did come out a little bit harsh because I was at a loss, I tried to comfort her with kind words, I tried to give her godly counsel, but she just wouldn't listen. And this was a friend that I've had since I was a teenager, and so it really hurt me that this person thought that I was coming from a bad place even though I kind of was forceful with my language. Well, that turned into months, even about two years almost, of silence between her and I. And I cried and I was like, how did this woman who, we've had pregnancies together and we have prayed together and wept together and how does all of a sudden she become my enemy? How, how do I, how how am I now in a war with this woman? And I just was like, you know what? And then one day she messaged, messaged me something and my natural reaction was to just defend myself because what she said was a little offensive, but I stopped. That night, I went to bed, and I had a dream, which I think I've said on this pulpit at least a thousand times now, because I am a dreamer. Yes, that is the gift God has given me. I had a dream, and in the dream, I see my old friend, and she is saying something to me, and in the dream, I come and I start now, before I was saved, and believe it or not, and it is what it is. I just fought a lot. And I was just very violent because I was very angry. And so in the dream now, she's saying something to me and I go back to my old ways and I start like just pounding on her. And before I know it in the dream, she's trying to defend herself. But before I know it, now she's on the floor and she's on the floor and I'm like kicking her and it was just bad. And I actually woke up in the morning and I was like, like God, is that in me? Like, do I really like hate her to the point where I would want to hurt her? And oh, man, I heard the Spirit of God say, be careful the way you respond to her. He said, because with your words and with your influence, the very thing that you were doing to her physically in that dream, you will do to her soul physically in the natural. And I just stood back and I said, Jesus, put a guard over my tongue. Put a peace over my mind so that I don't continue to war against this person. Because this is not my battle to fight. Because God, you said that when I my enemies rise up against me, that I'm to bless them, not curse them. That if they're hungry or if they're thirsty, that you told me that I'm to provide for them and give them meat and drink. But that's so difficult when you're trying to preserve yourself. And you step out of that immersion, and you step out of being saturated by all the goodness of God, and you begin to do it on your own. Well, suffice to say, about three weeks ago, and this was years of silence between me and this person, and I had prayed and prayed and prayed, the person came to me and asked me for forgiveness. And I was so Happy that I had not taken this battle into my own hands because I would have done some serious serious irreparable damages That if, if, if I really would have done it my way I would have done damage and so I'm glad that now there can be restoration because I chose to stay in the presence of God There's one other well. There are several other ways that Saul tried to preserve himself, but one was in his finances. So there's another war that's brewing, and Samuel tells Saul, once you win this war, because God always gave them victory, he said, I want you to go into the camp when you win the war, he says, and I want you to wipe all of them out. Women, children, I want you to kill all their animals, the lean and the fat, don't leave anything in this place well unfortunately Saul doesn't listen and now at this point we have realized that Saul is trying to preserve himself so once they win the war they go into the the camp and they find the king and for whatever reason Saul decides I'm gonna keep the king I'm not gonna kill him I'm gonna keep him maybe it was his own ego Maybe he just wanted to show everyone, you see, I caught him, you see? But now he goes and he kills everything that won't do anything for him and he keeps the fat animals, the ones who were well-fed, the livestock. He kept it for himself. And Samuel comes in and he's like, what have you done? What have you done? He's like, I told you, God told you, kill all of them. And Saul's just like, well, I wanted what I wanted. I wanted it to do me. So Samuel has to go now and he has to kill the king. Now there's blood on the prophet's hand. And you know, this challenges me each and every time. And I know it does with you as well. We all struggle with finances, or we have at some point. Some of us might be in a better financial place than others, and thank God for that. But it's so easy to try to preserve our finances by either holding on so tightly that we forget how to give anybody anything or we put our nose up at the church and we're like, eh, I'm not giving them my tithe. What are they going to do with it? Buy new chairs? My money's not going to new chairs. My money's not going to coffee in the back. My money's not going to this, my money's not going to that, and we hold on. We take out credit cards, we get loans, we start borrowing money. You know, I was really slapped in the face this week because I was going through a financial challenge myself. And I was telling Pastor George that I was on Facebook in the middle of the night and I was working on my sermon. My Facebook, it was open. And all of a sudden, um, it said, you have a message. God God wants to, you know, that God wants to say to you or God wants to speak to you thing. Anybody know about that? Anybody? Come on. I know you all get it in your Facebook. Stop it. You know, like every day you're looking at it. All right. So it tells me that I have a message from God. Now, normally, those things have gotten really shallow and flaky, and I normally don't open them. But it was the middle of the night, and I got it, and I thought that was really strange because that never happened to me before. So I open it up. I open it up, and it says, God wants you to know, and it's usually like these really wonderful, fluffy, like, God loves you, and your life is filled with flowers and roses, and all will be well. It's like a fortune cookie, right? Like, that's what it's turned into. Anyway, I open it, and it says, your ego is getting in the way of God's divine grace. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, literally, I have one, you know, one tab open for my message, doing all this finance stuff. <laughs> and then another tab open on Facebook, because, you know, I go back and forth. I'm like, all right, let's take a break. And I'm like, oh my God. And I had, um, what could I say? I made a really dumb choice financially. And then I sat there and I had to repent. And I realized, wait a second, I'm doing this very thing that God is telling me to tell you not to do. Which is to not preserve or try to preserve or put that burden on yourself to preserve your finances. And he's telling me now that my ego's gotten in the way. And you know what? It did. Because I was sitting there like, you know what? I'm not going to be broke. All my bills are paid, but I'm not going to be broke. I'm going to have money for this. I want to go out to dinner with my husband. (laughs) I want to go to the pool and to the beach and barbecue and it's summer. I am not going to be broke. But it was my ego. It was my ego. Like, I didn't even give God a chance to intervene. Like, I was just like, I'm going to do this on my own. You kidding me? Where I came from? Listen, most of you in this place know my testimony. Some of you may not. I was an orphan, I grew up in an adopted home, ended up orphaned again for the second time, on the street, homeless, on drugs, you name it, I was there. So I know what the bottom of the barrel looks like. And I don't ever want to see it again. But just when it seems like My circumstance looks anything like the bottom of that barrel. I go into protective mode. I go into self-preservation mode. Nope. My defenses are up. I need to make this thing happen. I got to hold it down. I got to do what I got to do. And no. And yet, I didn't even realize in preparing this that I was standing in the way of God's divine grace operating in my life. And so I just put my head down and I just repented and I was just like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm trying to preserve myself. I mean, yes, that's like normal human nature, but it's not okay. Not after I've tasted, not after I've seen, not after I've experienced supernatural provision. And another good way to ensure that our finances and the, w- the way that God intends for us to do it is to give. So let's always remember that a very strong principle in the Word of God is to give. When you're afraid that your finances are going to fail you, give. The Bible says if you cast your bread upon the waters that in many days you will see it return to you. The Bible says that if you give, to someone who is without that God himself will repay you. The Bible says that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake in Malachi, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, which means that your money won't just disappear and you won't wake up one morning and look in your bank account and be like, it's gone. Give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together and spilling over. You'll have more than enough to give out to other people, but we've gotta do it God's way. We don't wanna be disobedient like Saul and self-preserving like Saul who decided, eh, I'm not gonna do it the way God said it. I'll do it the way I want it, and then put other lives in danger. Amen? Last, the last example of Saul was how The very end of his reign as king, he started when he was 30. The very end of his reign, he had fallen totally out of great good graces with God. And because of that, and at this point Samuel now has passed away. And because of that, he no longer heard from God. The spirit of God was no longer speaking to him. And the heavens were shut up because this man decided that he was going to do things his own way. So now he's still king and he's got a battle to fight and he's afraid, of course. Because he doesn't remember all the other times that God gave him victory and had mercy. And he's afraid and so he decides, I need to hear from God. And now he can't hear from God and Samuel's dead. So he scatters around and he finds a medium. A psychic, if you will. One who talks to the dead. And he goes to this medium and he... He asked the medium to awaken Samuel from death so that Samuel can give him a word. So this is what happens. And now Samuel is furious. He says, why have you awoken me? He said, now, yes, this battle will be won. He said, but this will be the end for you. This is going to be the end for you. And unfortunately, sometimes... When we can't hear from God, we sometimes say it's God's fault. Why can't we hear from you? How come we don't have direction? Where is our wisdom? Where where are you, God? And you know what? This this story isn't so far-fetched because there are some of us in here who will run to a psychic. There are some of us in here who may even run to a horoscope. Or may even entertain those shows where they talk to dead loved ones to bring them comfort. I want to tell you this morning that if you have been practicing any of those things, I urge you to lay that down. I urge you to come before the Lord and to ask for forgiveness. Because there is only one who knows the number of your days. There is only one who has seen you and created you in your mother's womb to be able to tell you the goodness of our God in the land of the living. It cannot be found in horoscopes, please. This is very, very serious. We live in a community where, unfortunately, this is practiced. I mean, we, my family and I have experienced it firsthand where someone was doing witchcraft at our door to try to bring a curse on us. It didn't work because we're still blessed. <laughs> so they just wasted a whole lot of money on ingredients to put on our door. It was really quite, kind of sad. But it exists. Today And there are people who are giving themselves over into this lifestyle, believing that something is going to come from it. And I assure you that it is not. Because the Bible says, if you humble yourself in the eyes of God, God will exalt you. If you run to God and draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He will not refuse you. And although you may not have the answer in your life that you want, know that God is preserving you to give you the victory because that's what the word of God has proclaimed for us. So although we may not have the finer details, we can rest assured in our soul to know that God is preserving us with the victory. Amen? And lastly, Saul attempts to have control over the way he dies. It is at the end of his life, and he's in a war. He's told by Samuel and Al he's going to die. He gets to this war. They're about to kill him. He knows it. He knows that if the enemies get him, they're going to capture him, and they're going to torture him, and pretty much everything he did to everybody else is going to come back on him. So he tells his servant, kill me. Kill me now so I don't have to go through that. And the servant is afraid because he's like, oh, no, 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 this is the king of Israel. I, I can't kill you. I can't do it. So Saul literally takes his sword and he puts it on the ground and he throws himself on top of the sword, killing himself. Not only did he die that day, but his sons died. The people that were in battle with him died. We have to be very careful that we don't try to hold on so tight to our jobs and our ministries and the gifts that God has given to us that we don't hold on so tight that it becomes our demise. We can hold on to jobs to the point of like, we're running that rat race and we're trying to make that, that, that dollar. We're like, no, we gotta go after that dollar I gotta, like I was telling you before about finances, I gotta make it, I got my my home, we gotta be straight, I gotta achieve the American dream. I watch all these reality TV shows and I gotta drive the kind of car that they have and I haven't really made it unless I have those kind of clothes on and I'm not really somebody unless I'm walking around with those group of people. We have to be very careful. God has given to us work to do, yes, but that work was never intended to become an idol in our lives, that we serve it. No, that gift, that job, that ministry is to serve people. It's to serve us so that we can glorify God, so that God can bless the work of our hand. When we try to preserve our families, husbands, when you try to preserve your wives in an unhealthy way, understand. Wives, when you try to preserve the integrity of your marriage in an unhealthy way. That's when our demise can come, right? Because the Bible says, like I told you before, we need to be sober-minded. Yes, we are blessed with the goodness of God, and every good and perfect gift comes from up above. But we need to remember... That it's the Spirit of God that will preserve our homes. It's the Spirit of God that will preserve our marriages. It's the Spirit of God that will preserve our children. It's the Spirit of God that will preserve your talent. It's the Spirit of God that will preserve your brothers and your sister's and your aunts and your uncles. It's the Spirit of God that will preserve your character and your reputation. It's the spirit of God that will preserve your finances and your mental state of being. God will preserve that. The Bible talks about Moses in his old age, how yes, he was fully gray, but he was fully alert. And I admire that so much. My prayer is that when I become a woman of old age and you know, God willing that the Lord doesn't come back by that time, that the Lord would preserve my mind. That I wouldn't have to be bunched up with medications, and I got to take this to make me feel calm, and I got to take this to remember things, and I got to take this, and I got to do this, all to make sure that my body is intact. Now, don't get me wrong. We all, G Fitness, we all got to take care of ourselves, right? G Fitness, sorry, that was a plug. We all got to take care of ourselves. We got to eat right. We got to take care of the temple. We got to take care of the body. We have to, we have to, but not to the point that that becomes our God not to the point where that becomes our idol not to the point where we lose sight that everything God will take the glory for right because he will not share his glory with another I want to kind of close with this and maybe the worship team can come up (laughs) and I feel so official saying that I just want you to know (laughs) Can we put that on the t-shirt? Okay. Okay. Okay, in closing, you know, we were talking about the pickle. And again, the title of my message is Pickle Me True. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for my family, for my children, for the people that I love the most in my life, for the people that I will want will one day minister to is Lord saturate me soak me in the truth of your will soak me in the integrity of your love let me always all the days of my life remember that it is your word and your love and your mercy and your grace that preserves my soul that it's not what my own hands can accomplish that it's not What my own mind can even conjure up. But my prayer is that my soul will be pickled true. That my mind would be pickled true. That the work of my hands would be pickled true. That the words of my mouth would be pickled true. That my ministry would be pickled true. That my song to God and before the people would be pickled true. That my love and my hugs and my embraces and my forgiveness would be all pickled and saturated with the truth of mercy and grace that that abides. You know, there is an actual word for this process of pickling, and it's called curing. But isn't it so funny how curing also means healing? And that when we are surrendered before God, And we let go and we say, I'm not going to try to preserve it anymore. I'm going to release this burden to you, Jesus, because you care for my soul. A restoration of health comes. Mental health comes. God begins to cure our soul and he corrects and relieves the harmful and disturbing situations. The things that come in to torment us. He begins to cure. He begins to preserve us, recover us, and he begins to prepare us for the things that are ahead. So this morning, if you've held on so tightly to things that you know you cannot change in the flesh, and you are ready this morning, if you are ready this morning to wipe your hands and to let it go and to say, Lord, you preserve this. If that's you, I would like to invite you to the front. I'd like, you, I'd like to invite you to come to the front for prayer. I'd like to invite you to the front as a declaration, as a physical sign that you are ready to surrender And to let it go. Because there is a victory that is on its way to you even as we speak. Even as we pray. There is a victory that's actually inching its way to you. And I believe this morning that it's coming. And that you'll be able to receive it. And God will get the glory. you surrender our God is faithful our God is true he is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should repent because he has said it he will do it he will not go against his word he will not disappoint you he will not disappoint you he will not disappoint you but he will come And he will cure you and he will restore you because his word is filled with integrity and his word is filled with promise over your life.
2: Let's just take this time and all that you've heard just to worship together. Hallelujah. Father, preserve us. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. you are able to preserve us oh god father that you call us just to surrender to you lord and that your steps have already our steps have already been ordered lord by you and you're just calling us father to trust in you oh god father so today lord we surrender lord lord our hopes our dreams oh god our future oh god father our ministry our marriages our finances oh god we surrender them all to you oh god and we don't hold on to these things oh god oh father we put them in your hands oh god and we ask lord that you show us lord lord that you would guide us oh god lord that you would sh- speak into our hearts, Father, on what we need to do, Father, and how we need to administer, Father, the things that you've placed in our hands, oh God. So, Father, we are grateful to you, oh God, because of the trust, Father, that you bestow on us, oh God. Father, because of your grace that allows us to do and to go and to move, oh God, But at the end, Father, we lift these things back to you, O God, from which it all belongs, O God. Father, we give you glory for all that we have and all that we'll ever need, Father, because you provide, O God. And we give it back to you, O God, all for your glory, O God, all so that you would be lifted high, O God, all so that you would be seen, Father, higher than I, O God. Have your way.